This is the Sound Factory podcast from Sound Factory Productions. Doing it wrong, but doing it anyway. Hello and welcome to the Sound Factory podcast, a podcast about sound, music, collaboration and creativity. I'm your host, Steve Kilpatrick, a.k.a. Sound Factory, and I'm here with... Aniko Toth, a.k.a. Coco Vocals. I'm so excited to introduce our guest for today, who is Bianca Sapetto. Bianca Sapetto is a choreographer, director, teacher, aerialist, and dancer who began her career as a rhythmic gymnast, claiming five U.S. national championship titles and an alternate position in the 1992 U.S. Olympic team. Bianca studied comparative religion at Amherst College before running away to join the circus with Cirque du Soleil. She has performed, choreographed, and directed for a range of massive companies, Disney, Cirque du Soleil, Warner Brothers, Paramount Films, The Grammy Awards, The Tonight Show, Good Morning America, American Music Awards, Jackie Chan's stunt team, Michigan Opera, Teatro Zinzani, Astor Piazzolla Tango Foundation, the Olympic Gymnastics Tours, Burning Man, and at the Summit of the Americas for all the North and South American presidents and prime ministers. She has been an aerial acrobatics and dance teacher for over 20 years, and for over 10 years, she has been teaching yoga as well. Last year, she began her Lunar Yoga class series, which ties together the moon cycles, mythology, astrology, archetype, art, and magical traditions with yoga philosophy, asana, pranayama, and meditation practices. She has led classes and workshops at Esalen Institute, USC, UCLA, National Young Arts Foundation, Joffrey Ballet, Penn USA, Henkel Corporation, and yoga, acting, dance, and circus schools across the country. She is coming to us from Los Angeles, where she lives with her husband, kids, and a cat. Yay, well, <laughs> welcome. welcome. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for having me. This is really exciting. Thanks so much for being involved. Yeah, we're so My excited pleasure. to have you. My pleasure. Yeah. Mm. Mm. That was uh, a pretty in-depth biog that Oniko gave you there. Is there a... Yeah. It covered a lot of bases. <laughs> There's a lot, yeah. of, a lot of hats that you wear. <laughs> Certainly. If, if you were just meeting somebody for the first time, how would you kind of encapsulate what it is you're about? Yeah, so I tend to... You know, in terms of my career, I tend to introduce myself as a choreographer, director, and performing artist. Depending on who I'm talking to, I might also mention my teaching career. And I teach what are what I've called the physical creative. Um, and basically what that is is a, a conglomeration of all these different techniques that I've learned about embodiment from, you know, creating productions and also from um, uh, taking my own courses and my own teacher training programs um, and kind of putting that all together to teach people how to use the physical body as a creative source. We use storytelling and archetype and myth for all of that. And, and then, the, of course, the Luna Yoga classes are a bit of an extension of that. So that's a long explanation, I guess. <laughs> well, but, you know, the thing is, it's hard to kind of explain, right? Because mm. 
the explanation of, of choreography and, and performing arts, that's a little bit easy, easier for people to wrap their head around. But when you start to talk about teaching embodiment and what that means, it's a little bit more complex. So sometimes you really need the longer answer. Is it possible to encapsulate what you mean by embodiment a little bit? Yeah. So when I think of embodiment, um, I think of how we experience life or how one can incorporate the experiences of mm. life through our physical body, okay? Right. So, for example, one of the classes that I teach, this physical creative class, I will take stories or people's personal stories or mythology or archetype. We'll say, like, say I'll take the myth of Chiron, mm -hmm. okay? And we'll look at this archetype of the wounded healer, um, the centaur and everything that it represents. And then we start to place those stories through gesture, through physicality, through movement, through rhythm. It's actually quite connected to music in terms of some of the, the ways that we use rhythm and timing, and then also the ways that we'll use space mm. and kinesthetic awareness to be able to put the story of Chiron, put the archetype of Chiron into our body so that we can learn these lessons in a physical way. It's kind of hard to explain. It's much better to do. It's a doing practice. It's a, it, there's a doing practice, but it sounds like there's a lot of layers to it. If you're talking about archetypes, you're talking about potential comedia dell'arte and things like that, that may have influenced um, your way of teaching. Yeah, that's right, Ani. So what's beautiful, I, you know, for me about this class is, is how it's really... I can teach it in so, to so many different audiences. I'll take it, for example, to a group of uh, music students at USC, or I've taught it to psychology students at UCLA, or I've taken it to Esalen in conjunction with one of the teachers that I adore and teach with a lot named Gal Sassan. He's an astrologist and Kabbalist and a writer, and we teach embodiment of the Kabbalah at the Esalen Institute in Big Sur. I've also used it in the context of teaching employees of large corporations about how to use the physical as creative, right? And it's not only just the physical as creative, right? It's that's one of the main premise of premise of the of, of the class, but it also has to do with learning how to communicate in physical ways, learning how to work together and with teamwork, uh, look learning how to break down walls of how should we say, hierarchies within uh, a corporation, for example, so that people have more space and freedom for creative thinking. It can be used in all these different contexts, but the origin for myself of where I learned a lot of these techniques has to do with, as you say, Camerilla dell'arte or theater techniques or techniques that I've learned in the creation of pieces for dance companies, choreography and direction. A lot of it really does come from the performing arts world and the art world and how we create there because it has to do with camaraderie and building teams and learning how to act fearlessly without trepidation, learning how to give across your ideas boldly. And sometimes the ideas that come across, the instinctual ideas that come across are going to be the most impactful. But if we're inhibited, 
by hierarchies or or structures of power, or just our own sense of feeling self, the word I'm looking for, self-censored or inhibited and self-conscious. If we're feeling all of those things, then it's, it's much more difficult than to be free in our expression. So accessing the body is a sort of a way of tricking ourselves into creativity. So I definitely think of it as a sort of um, a playful, it gets us into this, this is another key word in the, in the physical creative. It's a, it's a sense of play that we're looking for, right? So that we're not taking ourselves so seriously, because as, as soon as you introduce the concept of doing something perfectly or doing something right, then you close the doors, you close a lot of doors to creativity. For example, one of the feedbacks that I get most, especially from these sort of elitist universities like UCLA, USC, those kids work really, really hard all their lives. And then they get into these institutions that puts a lot of pressure on them to do things the right way. Even if the institution isn't always trying to foster that. And in in fact, often the institutions are not trying to foster that at all. They're trying to foster the opposite. But a lot of times the way that the programs are set up foster that. Or the kids, it already exists in their mentality because of their background, because of where they came from. And some of the feedback that I get the most from people, from corporations to these institutions, to these institutions like Esalen that are known for sort of free thinking and being, you know, and freedom of the spirit, um, is this sense that, wow, I never knew that I, I could access this in the sense of, that's not actually not the, not the right way to put it. The feedback that I get from, uh, you know, across the board is as soon as I knew that there was no way to do it right, everything opened up for me. As soon as I knew that there was no way to fail, everything opened up. And I think that's where these classes are trying to get people. That failure, if you take failure out of the equation, then all of a sudden, all these doors open. That's amazing. Thank you so much for that clear explanation. I love the idea of play and the idea that there's no right way and there's no perfect. And it fits in with our theme of doing it wrong, but doing it anyway, and trying to just release that pressure on oneself to do everything perfectly is a huge thing. Absolutely. And, you know, I think we as artists, we have the privilege of being in, in you know, I would say at my personally at my best of being of being given space or creating space for myself where it's really about the process. And sometimes with the right teachers, we are encouraged to go into process without expectation of a result. I think when we're creating in a commercial uh, situation where, or a production in which we have some producers who really need to sell tickets or whatever it is, certainly that now we walk into a different space. But how can we hold that space of play and creativity, even within the context of those sort of commercial pressures. I think that's, honestly, I really think it's one of the foundational aspects of art and creativity for myself in my own career. And if I hadn't been very luckily introduced to this stuff at a, at a young age, I, I don't know how long I would have lasted. Sounds amazing. 
And coming to then how you and I have been recently working, how we know each other is partly doing some of that. So do you want to talk a little bit about how you and I know each other and how we have been recently working together? Yeah. So Aniko, you and I met in as little children, basically. I mean, I I don't know if we would have considered ourselves children then, but we were very young. We met in middle school, which in the U.S. is what, uh, seventh grade. And we met in Catholic school. (laughs) And we were very much about, I think, I'll speak for myself. I was very much about doing it right. (laughs) I think, how could we not be growing up in the institution of the Catholic Church? And also, um, you know, for myself growing up as a rhythmic gymnast, I always thought of it as an art form, even as a child, but it is a sport. So every single movement, every single point of the toe, every single, um, you know, hop within a, a pirouette is judged with a point system. Hmm. So there's certainly what felt to me a, a major dichotomy then, which was here I am expressing myself, but I'm being judged on every moment. Hmm. Aniko, I know for, and I'll let you speak for yourself on this, that we, you know, we related to each other through that sense of perfection growing up, you know, for, for somewhat different reasons. But I think we both had that a heavy, heavy dose of that in our childhoods. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And it's something that comes into my, my field, which is vocalization, singing and, and vocal coaching. It's taken me many decades actually to release some of the tensions that are caused when you hold this feeling of having to do it perfectly and then actually that causes you to your voice to break it causes you to have palpitations because you're dealing with lots of um, sort of performance anxieties and but it actually manifests as physical tension for example in the physical solar plexus which then relates to creating constriction in your throat which then relates to a constricted sound it really has taken me a long time to sort of unpeel those layers of the onion in terms of my own singing. And so that's actually, ironically, the things that I found difficult, because as kids, we were always really top of the class. You and I, I think we're often competing for top of class. We were always very dedicated and wanted to do everything really well and really perfectly. But actually, in some art forms, that actually causes tension that actually takes you out of doing it well. <laughs> it's, and so it's, it's that unpeeling of the onion there. I feel very lucky that I was so poor at everything. I had none of this pressure. Yeah. Mm. I didn't really have those kind of expectations as well, which I guess is liberating in many ways. But you can also miss getting the kick in the butt that you need. Mm. I see that in different education systems. Uh, certainly in the UK when I was a kid, there was an emphasis on it, creativity and a very little emphasis on craft or mm. skill. Or spelling. Craft or skill or spelling or, yeah, for example, it was considered uh, inhibiting to creativity to correct more than, I think it was five spellings in a piece of written work. <laughs> Which is uh, very my, different my, from our experience. My mom took real oh, issue yeah. with that with yeah. the school. But when I was in education in Hungary, I found uh, the opposite was the case at school university was different but at school kids were really really 
drilled in the the craft of whatever it was they were doing, whether it was drawing. For example, in in Hungary, you start off painting 2D shapes in the first year and then you graduate to 3D shapes. I don't think you get to drawing a human being until like the the final, like 18 years old or something (laughs) like that. And, And similar with music. And they tend to graduate highly, highly skilled, which is why every orchestra in the world has at least one Hungarian in it. It's an interesting contrast. I don't know which is. I don't. Wouldn't say one is better than the other. In, in it's going to really depend on the individual, isn't it? Yeah. So what I find interesting listening to you talk to the to the two of you talk is how we've, regardless, we meet here. <laughs> that is a testimony to all the different paths that the artist takes. I think so. Yeah. Right. That and we and that we continue to take as we evolve. Those of us who grew up with a profound sense of skill and hard work and perfectionism and this is the way that this is done and this is technique. And there's a, there's a place for that. I have, I have a lot of respect for the teachers and coaches who learned from generations um, past how to teach me the golden techniques of, of dance, of rhythmic gymnastics, of aerial acrobatics. I've been so fortunate in my career to learn from some of the best, whether they're clowns or, or uh, dancers, um, or, you know, I have, I have Aniko as my vocal teacher. And I've been so blessed to have all of these incredible teachers who are highly skilled in technique. But at the same time, what I was missing growing up is what you were exp- you were explaining as your childhood, Steve, was that sense of putting creativity first. And I had to learn that. And so because I had to learn that, I think that's why I started gravitating toward teaching it to others, because it was something that I had to figure out later in life. Yeah. When you're very skilled in something... And then you realize, hang on, <laughs> I, I need to learn this play and this release. Yeah, I can fully relate, relate to that. It kind of relates to what I was saying before is that for me, it's taken me a long time to find how to unpick some of those tensions that were created by this perfectionism that then I can actually teach that myself as well. And also yeah. try to make a space for my clients and students to be playful and not to judge themselves and to go with how it feels oftentimes rather than how it sounds because often we sound really different in our head versus how we sound when we record it or when we hear ourselves back on a on even headphones it's you know very easy for us to for that inner critic of ours to sort of come back and bite us in the in the ass (laughs) Mm-hmm. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> you know, stepping into the world of play is, I remember when I joined Cirque du Soleil, I was 19. And I was very newly out of competitive rhythmic gymnastics and quite traumatized, to be honest, by the experiences that I had as a, as a, as a gymnast. And I was ready and ripe to take this instrument that I had honed my entire life and turn it into what I had always truly wanted, which was to be an artist and to be a creative. And that came to a full head when I joined Cirque du Soleil and the director Franco Dragon 
would do this exercise with, you know, the different players in the production. And he put me center stage. Every play, everything was dark and put a spotlight on me on the stage and said, who are you? And all I could see was the cherry of his cigarette and a little bit of smoke when he would inhale. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and the rest of it was black and I could feel the eyes of the entire company on me. And it was just time to go. Mm. Time to be yourself. Time to be creative in whatever it was that you could show. And whether it was whether it was beautiful or whether it was funny or whether it was tragic or whatever it was, just to be yourself in that moment. And that was a game changer for me. That exercise was a game changer for me. I was armed with the technique that I had growing up, but I was yet to understand the power of myself as a storyteller. And that was one of the things that cracked me wide open. Wow! Looking at this very wide and varied career of yours, something that seems to touch every area is music. You seem to be immersed and surrounded by that. Mm. And it seems a natural progression for you to be uh, developing your literal voice as well as your sort of physical vocabulary. I just wondered if you'd like to tell us a little bit about how important music has been to you in yes. not just your career, but also, you know, life in general. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think the the language of music has always felt inside of my body, if that makes any sense. Completely. It was a a gateway. It turned the key, opened the door. Music opens the door, turns the key is a is a gateway to my sense of creativity and how I do that through my body. I think since I was young, I've been told people have mentioned to me, oh, you're so musical when you move. Mm-hmm. Um, you just, you, you feel the music and, and, or you become the music. That's certainly something that I've always felt highly connected to and probably no mistake that I married a musician. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And I'm grateful for that, for that, you know, having music in the household and having and being exposed to so many different types of music throughout my career and learning from the language of music more and more lessons about uh, access to the creative. Mm. And since movement, dance, I should say, just to be just to clarify, when I say movement, I say movement because I don't want to pigeonhole any specific genre of movement, mm. right? So I don't want to say it's just aerial acrobatics, it's just, or it's, or it's just dance, or it's just whatever, or just yoga. All these different aspects of movement is what I is sort of the umbrella term that I use when I talk about physical expression through the body. The the link is 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 music. Yeah, and I can actually continue with that because teaching you, it's it's actually very easy to teach you because you are so hyper aware of your, of your body, even though you don't always know what I'm talking about. You check in with your body and you find it. You find a certain different type of technique, physical technique, because the singing is so physical now as well so even though it creates music and it creates vibration in the body and it's got that sort of you know there's frequencies all around (laughs) the air molecules move but you're doing that with the actual muscles in your body and so teaching you because of your high awareness is so much easier and also learning from you because I also learn yoga from you so that's a wonderful exchange that I feel like I'm I'm so honored to to partake in is that 
you also, when you teach yoga, are hyper uh, sensitive to giving as much information continuously. I don't know how you do it when you're, you know, breathing through and, and physically doing all the yoga as well in front of us, that you explain every muscle and every movement and every um, detail um, so clearly to us. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you, Aniko. Yeah, no, I feel so grateful for the exchange that we have as well. And I feel that you're such an adept teacher at teaching physically. You have your own background in dance and physicality. And you're also, you're, you have such a sense of clarity and you have a deep commitment to explaining things properly and, and helping your student find and adapting your own language to be able to get your student to find how how to use what you, how, how, to, how to discover what it is that you're trying to communicate, right? Because all of our bodies are different and our ideas of how, of how you're explaining what you're saying, um, we, we receive them differently. But your use of metaphor, for example, I find to be super, super helpful. And that's one of the, the ways that the creative can start to interplay. You can use something like a metaphor and, and it, it means one thing to you, but that metaphor can come into my body as well, yeah. just based on your simple exp explanation of, of, of use of metaphor, as opposed to like pinpointing something physical. We can always fall back uh, on something like that. Does that make any yeah. sense? Yeah, we try to get it from different angles. And I, you know, I would, I would also say that that's how you teach as well. <laughs> And so we seem to have a really good rapport mm. for that reason. I think it helps that we've known each other since we were 11 or 12. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah, that does help. It's interesting because <laughs> we have our own language well, exactly. too. We do have our own language. I do remember once I came to visit you and I was wearing a, a hat that I, I really love my hats, as you know, and you wear hats as well. And your husband just said, Mm -hmm. Oh my God. And he just shook his head. And I said, what, what? And he said, you and Bianca are from the same planet. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I just laughed. At that. Yeah, we, we are. Kind of are. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, it's, uh, we are <laughs> same planet. It's good. We found each oh, other. Amen. Um, <laughs> it's something that I think th I wonder if Steve because you've noticed this you know speaking of language and actually communicating things differently Steve in the past we and you and I have talked about how dancers and musicians talk about and feel music really differently is that something that you have found in your working you know collaborative relationships for example with musicians or even your husband who's a musician or your children who also sing and make music um, and also dance and move is that something that yeah has been a learning curve as well and and a journey that's been a, a fantastic learning curve sometimes really frustrating too <laughs> because okay so listen as a dancer I have a one way of experiencing music which is through my body we count yes. in eights <laughs> and also you know if it's a waltz we count in threes or we'll count we'll count according to how the music is written but not a lot of us have yes. were trained mm. to read you know to read music very very few of us so understanding the language of music from a musician's point of view has been a huge learning curve for me there was a lot of failure 
<laughs> in the beginning of communication, when I first started working, especially as a choreographer, I'll have to say, to working with a band leader or the composer, for example, in the production, and just how we communicated about the language of music and how we communicated about yeah. the language of movement. Um, there was a lot of sort of discrepancy about what this meant and what that meant. Um, but over time, and with a lot of patience, I've been able to learn a lot from the musicians in my life, be it my husband or from the, you know, different composers and musicians that I've worked with over the years. Does anything stick out in particular that, um, can you give us an example of something like that? Did it, anything that was really frustrating or that, that was a huge breakthrough perhaps? Let me think, let me think about this because I have to tell you a floodgate of memories came in when you asked that question. Because <laughs> there's plenty of time. We'll, we'll there, just there's been a lot of <laughs> experiences where, yeah, <laughs> there's been a lot of experiences of where communication breakdowns happened because of my inability to communicate about music from a musician's point of understanding. Always wanting to avoid saying, you know, I really want it hard, but soft. I really want it slow, but fast. You know, that, that kind of language that doesn't make any sense to musicians. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, just trying to stay away from that stuff, first of all, I think was my first lesson. <laughs> and just being really more specific. And one of the things that I, I found and I have found is if I show it, and this goes back to the doing part, if I can show it through the body of, a, of, of, of another dancer or through my own body and say, what if it feels like this to you? You know what I mean? In terms of a feeling tone, because that's sort of the mm. hardest thing to, you know, get across. Tempo and timing, um, that, that, that kind of stuff is a little bit easier because that's more about numbers uh. and, and uh, you know, tempo duration and all that stuff. But I think in terms of the feeling tones, that's when we, get, can, we, we can start to get back to the doing and also metaphor. You know, the use of metaphor is really helpful there. Ah, uh, yes. And one of the things that I have found the most beneficial is when we have the privilege to co-create art and pieces together in the same room at the same time, where it's not, this dance piece was created, now can you mm -hmm. set music to it? Or I know you set that piece of music, I'm now I'm trying to create to it, but... It doesn't exactly work within the timing or this section doesn't work. Rather than try to put those puzzle pieces together, which often we have to do, totally. I mean, that's most often, honestly, how we have to do it. And we do it. But at the same time, when we have the privilege of being able to go into workshop together and co-create play and, and create the music and the movement and the acting and whatever else is going on at the same time, Whew. We all learn from each other so much. And I, and, I, and I feel that, you know, the audience feels that. The audience can feel the difference when something, when there's a sort of genesis that happens with all the different pieces coming together at the same time, that we're all on the same page, we're in the same room, we're breathing the same air, we're feeling the same feels as we co-create a piece. A lot of the pieces that I've done is you know, coming up with a series of concepts and then getting musicians, actors, clowns, lighting designers, dancers, choreographer, director, composer, getting everybody in the same room, playing together at the same time, 
And when we play together at the same time and have people, and this is part of that sort of where that sense of embodiment work comes in. Like, for example, you'll have the composer do a dance with one of the dancers. Mm. Or you'll have a dancer or an aerial acrobat pick up an instrument and co-create a piece. And when we start to dive into each other's art forms like that, there's something that uh, really unexpected shit happens. Things that we never would have thought of because we get settled into rhythms or ways of working as a particular artist. But when we can dive into each other's roles and at least get a sense of empathy of what it feels like to be there or what it feels like to play that character. If a composer gets to play a character, let's just, mm-hmm. you know, Lady M, for example, Lady Macbeth. The composer gets to play Lady Macbeth and physically embody her and say her lines in the context with an actor who's working together with her in that space and starting to feel the emotions and starting to feel the energy of that character. They're going to write a piece of music in a different way than they would have if they had never had that experience. What you describe sounds to me like a kind of empathic co-creation and it's a sort of childlike way of approaching uh, collaboration, which sounds really inspiring. Yeah, that's right. We have we have to get we have to get back to that space. You have to make yourself vulnerable. So there are so many things that we can talk about. We've just talked a lot about collaboration and different ways of working with people and the importance of music. Is there anything that, as an artist, in terms of any of these topics, that you th- would like to share? as a recommendation. Yeah. So in terms of um, collaboration and creative process, I think one of the books that, and one of those techniques has, has, a bit, has had a big influence on me is Viewpoints. There's a book called The Viewpoints Book written by Tina Landau and Anne Bogart, and it's based on the techniques of Mary Overly, a choreographer. So it really comes from a physical embodiment perspective, and they use it mostly in the context of theater. But I, I see it can be used in any, in, any, in any, and I've seen it used in every art form, performing arts, but not only performing arts, but in all of this, you know, bringing it out into the world, so to speak. Another person who has had a big influence on me in terms of embodiment work is Marion Woodman, who's the depth psychologist. She is well-versed in the Jungian psychology and mythology, and she, she took basically depth psychology into a much more physical space than anybody else was at the time and has been a huge influence on the world of psychology as well as, in my opinion, the performing arts. Who are you listening to right now that okay. you feel really connected to musically? I'm listening, I'll be honest, I'm listening to a lot of books right now. <laughs> and that's that's been really fascinating in terms of, and, and I'll get to music, but it, that's been really interesting in terms of, you know, we talk about this sort of like crossing over from one art form into another and how listening to, for example, one of the books that I listened to most recently is uh, Daughters of Fortune by Isabel Allende. And it inspires me so much as, as a mover and as a creative, the richness with which she describes setting and character and how deeply she goes into the feeling and the tones of a character's psyche and intentions and underlying motivations for why they make the choices that they make. But in terms of music, 
Well, I've been working on a project that has to do with film noir. So I've been listening to a lot of these old film noir movies like, uh, you know, the Bernard Herrmann Orchestra doing Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo or listening to Jerry Goldsmith in um, from Chinatown, listening to some old sort of sort of noiry jazz mm-hmm. type music just to create mood and context for some of these characters and narratives that we've been ex- I've been exploring with my co-collaborator co- co-collaborators Daniel Passer and Veronica Krausis. I also listen to when I'm doing my lunar yoga classes, I like to listen to music as I'm as I'm sort of getting a getting a tone for the class and understanding the general concepts depending on what is is going on I'll I'll be I'll be listening to for example this last full moon in um, Capricorn was very much about ironically enough physical embodiment <laughs> mm. <laughs> I know that's like a theme that we've been beating over the head but <laughs> it's all about you know Capricorn is very much about the skeleton and structure with the sun and cancer bringing the the heart into that physical structure. And so I was listening to uh, Bjork's homogenic album. That entire album is done with vocals Mm. and all of the sounds are samples of vocal sounds. Many of the songs I can hear heart within the body, you know, how we incorporate heart into physical space and physical manifestation. I've also been listening to <laughs> whatever my my daughters want to listen to. My daughters have such a really amazing ear. It's really fun to sort of listen to them learn music and learn about music through the references that they hear from myself and my husband, Robin. I would love to continue a conversation with you about how motherhood has affected you as an artist. I wonder if we can ask you back for another episode. I'd love to have a whole conversation with you about that. Yeah, I, you know, I think it's a poignant discussion for um, a lot of artists. Thank you so much. I'm so looking forward to having that discussion as well with you. I'm sure our listeners will be really interested in, in hearing even more detail about how you have worn new hats and developed yourself as an artist and as a mother. We hope that you've enjoyed chatting with us as much as we've enjoyed chatting with you. And thank you so much for coming. It's been such a pleasure, you guys. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I always love speaking with you. And I think what you're doing is fabulous. I'm I'm excited to be a part of it. That's very kind. Where can people find you, I should ask? My Instagram is Bianca Cepetto, no spaces, biancacepetto.com is my website. I have some videos up on YouTube under Bianca Cepetto. Another thing is, is your lunar yoga classes are really taking off and I'm guessing people can find about that on Instagram. Yeah. Instagram is the best places for the lunar yoga classes. It's, it's where I publish all of the classes and put links in the bio for if you, in case you're, you find a particular class intriguing. If you're interested, I'll put you on my, on my email list and I, you'll be updated about all of the Luna Yoga classes. They happen every new moon and full moon. Very exciting. Thank you so much for coming. I have been Aniko Toth as Coco Vocals. My co-host has been Steve Kilpatrick. AKA Sound Factory. And this has been the Sound Factory Productions podcast. Doing it wrong. But doing it anyway. Thanks again. <laughs> <laughs>